sex education. Everybody agrees that more of it is needed, even though they don't agree what kind of sex education is needed. But when you start to talk to people and ask what kind of sex education they receive, you find out that almost that, that the majority of people you talk to haven't had any sex education, or they have a hilarious story, hilarious, hilarious story about a gym teacher who pointed to diagrams on a blackboard or of a boy fainting in sex ed class when horrible pictures of gonorrhea were shown. Actually, that's my story. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is the Sex and Ethics Podcast, and I'm Sharon Lamb. And I'm Madeline Broach. Today we're going to be talking about sex education. We're going to be talking about our curriculum, a curriculum that we both taught to ninth graders years ago, the sexy sexual ethics for a caring society curriculum. And then we're going to talk about the new Netflix sex education show. And I am so thrilled that we are current. Yes, we're finally on top of a cultural event. We're not going to talk. Yeah, we're just so used to academia where it takes us like two years to actually have something be published and then it's current though. Right. And we'll come back in two years and podcast to the podcast community and add on to this, I'm sure. Because we won't I'm, let it go. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that we'll have another couple thoughts or so about sex ed. Yeah. We're dogs with a bone. Speaking of dogs, is Daisy with us today? Daisy is with us today, but she's much less perturbed than last recording session. So I'm excited for a bark-free recording time. (laughs) Well, I'll try not to perturb her. (laughs) Though sex education perturbs everyone. I started one of those Google things where whenever the word sex education comes up, A Google News Alert? Every day I get some controversy in Podunk, USA about the sex education curriculum. And generally, I would say that the issue today isn't so much abstinence education, although there's a split and half the country thinks you should offer abstinence education. Well, actually less than half. But people are really concerned about LGBT issues being in sex ed curricula Mm -hmm. and anal sex. They think that in health classes you shouldn't mention it because if you mention it all those kids who oh are my goodness. Just, I know all the kids watching porn are gonna you know be totally disturbed and think oh there's something new to do i'm so intrigued to hear the abstinence only debate be applied just to anal sex i'm surprised i have to say oh it used to be that there were like two sides of the sex education issue the pro sex positive kind of people that said you should get all the sex education you need because you will be a better person and a safer person for that. And the abstinence-only people would say, you should get sex education in order to prevent you from having sex. And now I don't hear that so much as being the argument, although I think those people exist. I think the abstinence-only proponents are now all over anal so to speak. Okay. And they're they're ferreting out in the new curricula, like California had a new curriculum, and they and then all over they start protesting, look what's in this curriculum. They're teaching your kids how to have anal sex. Mm. So Which some I good old fashioned scare tactics. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, the scariness of anal sex for those folks, and I know I'm stereotyping them all, but I think the scariness is it's just plain old homophobia. 
I, I would say that. And I wonder if it's a reaction to how some people who choose a good majority of folks who choose to be abstinent only until marriage choose to do so for religious reasons. And probably because of the time modern tradition of teenagers trying to get around the fact that vaginal sex counts. So I would guess that they're maybe perhaps becoming wise to the fact that their teenagers are considering anal sex to not be violating some of their religious yeah. duty. I think so. I also just think that the, that the influence of porn can't be underestimated and that there's a whole lot of anal sex on porn. Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, because I just have to tell our listening audience that, you know, I'm the older person here. And I remember a day in our research group when you and Marta looked at each other and said, she didn't grow up in the porn era, did she? Well, it made it so much more ubiquitous. Growing up, like having access to it much more easily than find a stash of porn somewhere in the woods or however else people found it beforehand kind of changes your perceptions of what's normal. And that's been a lot of what we talked about on your research team, how porn has come normal normal because it is trying some children choose to put porn in place of sex education Mm, yeah do you think that people really do think that that's normal or normative that teenagers when they're watching porn are saying yeah that's what sex is or are they a little more savvy than that like thinking hmm it's turning me on but i bet that's not very realistic i would guess it probably depends on the teenager ideally i'd like to hope there are some savvy consumers there they can probably run internet rings around both of us for days they're pretty smart teenagers but i don't necessarily know if they have that critical consciousness yet that's pretty hard to develop when you're that young yeah and especially when you're hot and bothered i suppose yeah <laughs> That sounds like an old-fashioned term, doesn't it? Hot and bothered. (laughs) I like it. It's appropriate. Okay, so let's get back to regular sex education. And what you know that what I've been saying for a few years after developing the sexy was that health education can, can be taught in a couple of hours, two or three hours. And you can really get this stuff on the internet. In some ways, I'm wondering if the trying to get schools to teach good health education around sex and sexuality is not only a losing battle, but irrelevant now, as long as you can just sort of tell kids, check out this website, check out this, like push them towards the the better websites. I think that's a really great question. I guess one of the things I think might be helpful is the forced exposure so that some of the kids who might need this information the most are also the kids who are less likely to go and do that type of homework for themselves. That's probably right. Right. And then the kids that are too cool to say they don't know what they don't know or mm-hmm. to ask about what they don't know to what we'll talk about later to the sex education network. I know what you're talking about. I'm so excited. (laughs) But I do want to do a shout out to Heather Corina. I don't know if that's how you say her name. Heather Corina, Heather Corina. She was a person who I think 20 years ago started Scarlet Team. I really think it was 20 years ago. It's a wonderful resource for, there are many other good websites to go to hers all the time for that sassy attitude, sort of straight up answers. It would send teens to it. And if I were a sex ed teacher in the school and sent teens to it, I might get fired. (laughs) Why do you think that? Well, because of its explicitness, maybe, or its bluntness, or it, you know, total sex positiveness. And I guess that's something I want to talk about too so it's just to be all over the place if you don't mind just us our lovely listeners 
there are two sides. There's two sides. There's like the abstinence only side, kind of conservative, and then there's the liberal side or progressive side. And that's always been because of the negative abstinence only side and conservative stuff. The liberal side has always been whatever turns you on, kind of. And that's what sex positive has been all about pleasure, all about understanding what turns you on. And I think that Scarletine and the other sites like that take a kind of value neutral perspective, which is health conscious, but we're not going to tell you what to enjoy in sex kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think they're good on issues like sexual violence and stuff like that. But there's something I found wanting in in the liberal side of things. And that's a a real in-depth discussion of ethics. Oh, surprise. Ah. Yeah, sex and ethics. And everyone agrees you shouldn't rape, right? Yeah. Thank you for agreeing with that. I, you can officially put me on the no thank you. I'm not in support of rape. Right. But there are so many other ethical issues that need to be worked out. And so I guess I wanted to add another dimension to the progressive liberal side of things, which I consider to be sex positive, but it's also sex positive with a lot of thoughtfulness and with a focus on the other person instead of on whatever turns you on. Right? Yeah. I think the the health focus sex ed was coming from a really intelligent place of like trying to be able to get this information into schools. But I think their focus on the individual really takes away the fact that you're often doing sex with another person. And I think that's one of my favorite things about the sexy is that you never forget that the other person is there and you have to be thinking about them. And I think maybe part of the reason we have some of the problems that we do today is that because kids aren't often told to think about the other person. It was my favorite thing that you added in the sexy curriculum. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I I just wanted, I always wanted to keep my focus on two things at the beginning. How do you treat other people? Because that's, that will make you have sex ethically. And Mm -hmm. teaching teenagers how to think about the sexual issues in society from an ethical perspective. Because I wasn't seeing way back then any curricula that really talked about rape culture, pornography, prostitution, or sex working. I don't want to get into that argument today. That'll be another one. We should totally do that, though. We had a great discussion in class about it. Oh, awesome. You're referring to your first-year seminar at UMass Boston, right? Yes, that was based on your sexy curriculum. Oh, awesome. Well, I, I just don't want a bunch of criticism right off the bat. This is our, our fourth podcast, right? Yeah. You think we're that growing. We're learning. Yeah, we're learning. And we're learning what to stay away from. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that high school students hear about these things and they want to discuss it and they want to think through them. And where else is a better place to think through these social issues about sex except in a classroom with a thoughtful, philosophically minded teacher. Yeah, so we both taught this curriculum to ninth graders. It was a hoot. I I think that was really appropriate. It was a hoot. It was challenging at times. Mm. It was very what was your most challenging moment? I think our lesson about pornography was really challenging. Yes. Because and we talked about this at the time, which is that they're much more 
even ninth graders, you know, compared to me, like I know I'm the younger one in this podcast duo, but compared to me, these kids were much, much more pornified. Like they knew the names of porn actors and they were discussing who was more attractive. And I was like, I have no idea what's going on here. The fact that you guys are in ninth grade and you know porn actors and follow them on Instagram, I don't know what to do with that. So it was really challenging. I have a really different experience than they do. Yeah, we've updated the porn lessons since then, since we learned so much from the kids. But I remember, too, that the girls in my class were just hands across their chest. We're not going to talk about this in front of the boys. Because the boys just got off on showing off on how much they knew about porn. And they were in a one-up position on the girls. You know, oh, this is fun stuff for us. And for girls, it was like, uh, I don't know how fun this is. Huh? I also remember the first day one student, I asked if they had any questions because they had had four hours of health sex ed. And I asked if they had any remaining questions. And I'll always remember the girl who asked, why do women scream during sex? Is it painful? And then a guy like looked up and said, yeah, I want to know if it's painful too, because it looks like it's painful, right? And- oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Oh my goodness. My heart is like, just like breaking for both of them. Because I think this is can only be a reaction to porn culture where you're expected to scream like it actually hurts. Yeah, and, and, and distort your faces in, in ways that looks mm-hmm. like a lot of pain mm-hmm. too. And did say that. I think that sometimes the sex you see on TV or I mean on movies and in pornography, even in movies, exaggerates a pleasure response. Like it's so pleasurable, you're screaming. But that's just for the viewer. And I would say that that's even though sex can be painful at times or at first for women. I haven't heard much about that for boys. There are ways to prevent it from being painful. And mm-hmm. most people don't don't scream. If people have something pleasurable, like when you're having a good meal, you probably moan a little bit. Mm. <laughs> that was me eating ice cream. But you definitely don't like yell so hard, so loud that the chef can hear you in the kitchen that's in another room. <laughs> so I'm not saying that that cannot be a genuine expression of enjoyment. I'm skeptical because it feels more likely to be performative than genuine. I think that would be really fun to just do a shout out, a true shout out to the chef in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) That was really good. But anyway, okay, so so back to the sexy, because I did want to tell people a little bit about what's in it and things that we talk about, friendship and sex and consent and coercion and media objectification, really good discussions on that in the classroom. Oh, and the other thing I really enjoyed teaching was the unit on childhood sexuality, because Mm -hmm. I I felt that the ninth graders came more alive. They were less self-conscious when they were talking about what they did in childhood or what other kids, what they've seen their brothers and sisters do. And it was just so, I, I, I want to make people feel okay, just like the the character in the Netflix sex education about their sexual doubts and feelings and experiences. And I just felt so good when they would talk about things they did and wonder if they were weird and they would get information from other students in the class. Like, no, I did that when I was like six too, or I have a story when I was eight. 
Those, those are always cool. really cool moments to see. It's almost like seeing someone like uh, shrug off like some shame or something that they might have had yeah. uh, to have yeah. it be normalized. I agree. That's a very cool lesson. Just shrug it off. And I'm not sure they learned much philosophy, but we did try to couch everything in philosophy. I mean, I don't think that you'll hear a lot of ninth graders talking about John Rawls all the time. My <laughs> kiddos really liked John Rawls and the Veil of Ignorance. What else did they t- really like? They often talked about courtly love in my class, how that was related. They loved that. Oh, how interesting. Yeah, there's that unit about love and lust that talks about the art of courtly love and how a knight was supposed to treat a lady. Then mm-hmm. uh, I also like the part where we, because it's a female philosophy, when we talk about Simone de Beauvoir, ah, de Beauvoir yeah. and how she wrote about love between equals before her time, it kind of made me think, oh, maybe that's where I got my ideas about uh, the ethic of mutuality, forgetting that when I was a waitress at Peacock's ice cream store in Evanston, Illinois, when I was in high school, during the downtime when I wasn't cleaning counters, I was actually reading Simone de Beauvoir and trying to make sense of feminist philosophy. And I just remember underlining a whole bunch and saying, (laughs) I love books that come with memories like that, that were so impactful for you that you remember where you were and what you were doing while you were reading them. Yeah, I guess that was my feminist beginnings, but why would I have had any? Why would I have even picked up that book? The book whose name I can't even remember, right? Oh, yeah, The Second Sack. Yeah, there must have been some inkling growing up in a household with a authoritarian father and housewife mother to sort of get into that a little bit. But yeah, no, I didn't get much feminism in high school, I don't think. Then again, the women's room came. Okay, we're off on a tangent. Back to the... <laughs> we'll have to do one about like feminist first times or something like that. Oh, I like that. I like that phrase. Okay, so um, I think it's time for us to get on and and talk about Netflix uh, sex education. I have to say that I have this sort of, I don't this impulse whenever I hear somebody doing what I've been doing, instead of saying, oh, good, the more the merrier, everyone's working on this issue right now. I Mm -hmm. say, oh, no, somebody's doing what I've been doing for years, and they're going to do it better. So I've got to get over that competitive streak. And they did do it really well. They did sex education as a, I don't know, I kind of think of it like an after-school special with sex A little bit. Honestly, I think they might have done too good of a job putting me back into these very awkward times. Um, Oh my God. It was that f- whole first episode. I swear to God, I watched it like behind my sweatshirt the whole time. It was so intensely awkward, but it was very, very well done. Oh, tell me about it. So where, what were you, what was your most awkward moment in the first? Oh, by the way, everyone, if you don't want any spoilers, just turn us off now and tune in next time. Yeah, we'll you can always <laughs> pick us back up after you finish the series. Yeah. It was the two people who were having sex at the beginning of the show, the bully, really tall guy, ditzy, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Thank you. I'm terrible with names. So they were having sex and it was really awkward. And you kind of like paused part of the way through and then found out he was faking an orgasm. And I was, oh my God. <laughs> 
because it it felt so realistic really genuine to how it would feel if you did have like a boyfriend fake an orgasm from you amy's response was like so totally what i would have done if i was her age which was just what did i do wrong right right. about it but to talk to literally anyone else well, we're gonna, what, we're, what we find out later about that, because it kind of disturbed me that scene, the way she was acting as yes, a sex too. toy. And it, like I was saying, oh, God, is this going to be porn for teens, you know, this show? And it turns out that they deal with that later by saying she's not having any pleasure. She's just trying to act out porn star for these guys. Yeah. And, and saying, aren't I doing a good job at being a porn star for you? Why aren't you yeah. acting in here again? And I really love how she comes to that realization, right? Because she gets a new boyfriend and her new boyfriend, she goes to perform this kind of very hornified sex expectation of like, do you want to come on my face? Do you want to come on my breath? All this other type of stuff. And he says like, no, I just, I really like when girls are having a nice time. She's fused by it. (laughs) What? What? So I really like that they kind of modeled that. As a partner, you can really get a lot out of a partner who is genuinely invested in your sexual gratification. And Um, it was so odd for her that when he says, what do you like? She kind of pauses and goes, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And she asks the main character for sex advice and he advises her to masturbate. And you have this hilarious, hilarious montage of her her trying trying (laughs) and being so uncomfortable, not knowing what to do. And then eventually she figures this out and she just does it the whole night while doing everything else. And the next day you can see she's a changed person. I would argue that she's probably like more fully embodied in her sexuality now that she knows how to have a really nice time by herself. I want to rewind a little bit just to t- tell the listeners, if they haven't seen it, that the, that the premise of the story is that this guy is the son of a sex therapist named Gene. His name is Otis, and he is, and he and this girl named Maeve, kind of the bad girl, are in a business to make him, to have a clinic in an unused bathroom. It's unused because they throw out at the beginning of the season that it has asbestos in it. And Which, from- like, clearly they're too young to remember what the heck asbestos is because I was, <laughs> you do not want to mess around with mesothelioma, but that's just me. <laughs> right, so they're all always meeting in this closed-off bathroom to smoke, and they create a sex clinic where it's almost a confessional where he's in one stall of bathroom and somebody sits in the other and they say their sex problem, and he gives them advice, and the advice he gives to Amy is to, to start wanking, as the British say. This is a British oh, yeah. show. But the and funniest thing about that scene... I missed an opportunity to say British slang and not be silly. Sorry. (laughs) The funny thing about that scene. I didn't know why she was using a blow dryer. I was like, what's this blow dryer? She's like blowing this blow dryer all over her. Yeah. But but then when she says what she likes, she gets back in bed with with the nice guy and she says, I want you to use your left thumb. I want you to blue blah, blah, blah. And I want you to blow in my ear when I'm about to come. Something like that. I did not put that together until right now when you said it. <laughs> that's oh totally my goodness. Funny. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> or blow on her neck or something like that. I think that is so cute that here she's like using this blow dryer on her neck and imagining somebody blowing her. <laughs> Yeah. So that's the Amy character, and she has a lot of growth, as they say in theater. That's a character with a lot of growth. She has a lot of growth. She was one of my most favorite characters. That and Otis's best friend. Why am I totally... Eric. Eric. I loved Eric. 
Eric's oh. arc was so beautiful. Oh my gosh. Face. What, are, what are you thinking, Sherry? I just loved that father-son story. I mean, because oh, what, yes. what you get with the bully guy, Adam, and his principal father is the typical story. Here's a bully guy, and here's a really authoritarian father, and there's no movement there. They're just, well, there's movement for Adam, but it's just, just you always have to have one of those, just like you always have to have the popular girls. Those are the, the tropes I didn't like so much in this but Eric and his father had such a complicated relationship. I just loved it. I thought you would have loved the relationship between the two popular girls about how where she tries to get relational revenge against her. I thought you would have loved that part and want to I, talk about that part till the cows come home. Oh, I mean, all of that seemed a little bit predictable because I've seen a lot of teenage movies. I don't know why, I guess, because I wrote about it. and because A bunch of them? I've just seen so many teenage movies that it was that it was predictable that would have been a girl who passed around the picture of the what I was most surprised about and that, mm-hmm. so to tell the listeners what was happening then was that there was somebody sent what do you call it it's not sexting if you're sending somebody else's a picture of I would just put that under revenge oh yeah so they were sending a picture of this girl's vagina or vaginal yeah. area yeah. To use the right terminology. But everyone was saying they were ugly or it was ugly because, of course, everyone's used to some way vaginas are. I mean, it doesn't look ugly to me, but it was hairy. And I just sort of thought, what's going on in England? Aren't the girls, especially the popular girls, like shaving all the time there? Yeah, I don't know. I think it might have been that it was like it wasn't a pornified vagina. But I also I know they mentioned her labia minora being of an unusual size. uh, And they mentioned like the clitoris being of an unusual size in it. So I think it was just a lot of expectations for what a woman's actual parts look like (laughs) bits and parts i mean i didn't i didn't pause the screen and maybe i should have but they actually showed the picture and it looked pretty normal to me i mean i didn't see me too (laughs) but i guess that's the point right that there's so much that people think uh, that teenagers think is abnormal and they're constantly being corrected through sex education getting back to eric the gay guy whose parents are from africa and are you know Mm -hmm. pretty strong Christians and he's I don't know he's just loving color I don't know I wouldn't say that you know there's not drag he just wears the most beautiful sparkly outfits and you know he's just you know he was just a colorful person who just wears show person showy pieces yeah like he wore this like I was re-watching episode seven where the relationship changed between him and his dad. I think you see yeah. the start of it before we were recording. You see him come out and he has this beautiful jewel-toned eyeshadow or, or glitter all across his eyes, almost like a mask. And he's wearing um, a traditional head wrap that's also like a beautiful jewel green. And then he was wearing traditional African print, like a shirt. And he's just, he's a snazzy dresser. I don't know how else I would say. He's very snazzy. <laughs> And sequins and sparkles and things like that, too. And first you think that his father is just disapproving. What I love so much about this as a parent, too, was that they didn't treat the father as one-dimensional. Of course, the father was kind of homophobic as a Christian. was, Mm -hmm. But he also was just plain worried about his son. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I just love that about that 
um, relationship and how he came to accept his son's, you know, sparkle. The son started to integrate his African heritage to his wardrobe. It's beautiful. Yeah. So what did you think about this town? Is this the most woke town you've ever seen? I I don't understand how children get around because it seems pretty rural with a lot of areas in between houses and then they're just like walking everywhere. I don't know how it doesn't take them two hours to get anywhere. Yes, it does seem to be like the most woke town. There's but it- tons of uh, racial, I mean, nobody believes, we don't believe that this is a post-racial world. Yeah. But it certainly created in there. Maybe that's a criticism of it because it was never dealt with and black kids and white kids were all dating and black parents and white parents were married. And I wonder, I wonder if that's more with the culture of England because I've heard that it's not so much race as it is ethnicity in England and your immigration status. Everyone there had pretty strong English accents. The only person who possibly could have had like negative repercussions and what I understand to be like English like difficulties would be Eric's family because I assume they're recent immigrants because his mom and dad didn't speak with an English accent. They spoke with an accent that was from uh, probably their country of origin. Mm-hmm. But there was never any bullying because of that or any addressing no. of that. And also with the LG, with the lesbian parents and the lesbian couple that he canceled. That's the way things are. And that's why I say this is the most woke town ever, (laughs) the most progressive town ever too. But I have to say that I, that I love the chorus kids. Oh yes. Because they look like what high school students look like to me. And I kept Mm -hmm. going back and forth between thinking like, come on, it's not true. Like Eric says, everybody's either thinking about shagging, about to shag, or actually shagging. I don't (laughs) think that's true of high school students. Oh, no. think it's true of some. And I went back and forth saying they're making, this is this old trope that all high school students ever think about is sex and they're horny all the time which is mm-hmm. have no other interests and things like that. But, but then I said, but this is a show about that. So they're focusing on the kids who are obsessed with sex. And certainly there are some who are. Yeah. yeah. But I also think, you know, they could have done more with tapping into the ethos about the fact that like in high school, you can sometimes think that everyone else is having sex, but you, oh. um, that is true. Because yeah. I think there's a, there's a really big perception. That lots of this stuff is going on, and I, I'm just the only person who's not invited to that party. And that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a shout out for, for cool teachers, because I was one once. When I was 23, I was a high school English teacher in a small town, and mm-hmm. I was the teacher that uh, boy came out to, the first person. I felt pretty honored that. And I was the teacher that a girl wrote in her journal. She was a junior saying, I think I'm the only girl who hasn't had sex. And this was way back when. So, I mean, you know, teenagers are teenagers. And of course, she wasn't the only girl who hadn't had sex. Of course not. But there's something that was very authentic about the problems. Even though it was like after school special problem of the week, there was something authentic about all the problems that the kids brought to Otis to get solved. And it won me over. I was starting to say, ah, too much about sex. You know, me? Too much else. But then I thought, yeah, well, we're focusing on the kids here that are um, obsessing about sex, worried about sex, concerned about it. And that (laughs) was that a squeaky toy from from Daisy. (laughs) 
Okay, before we end though this discussion, we have to talk about Lily, the high school student who really is obsessed with sex and who draws oh. alien erotica. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to say to her about her because I appreciate her like rich inner fantasy life. However, I think that perhaps she's really awkward in real life, and I don't think that she's connected. That social skills are related to people wanting to have sex. With you, I, 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 it just it feels like she views sex almost as transactional rather than uh, right. Well, she was obsessing so much in this. I have to say, on the spectrum way. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, and I wonder if they subtly were putting this forward. She just wanted to have sex and she would go up to anyone and say, will you have sex with me? Will you have sex with me? Which in other shows would be dangerous, but in this yeah. show was... Just a charming court, I guess. <laughs> right. And I guess also that the two times that she tries with people, they're decent kids. And I think there are a lot of decent boys out there. I mean, and I actually appreciate this about this show that we didn't have a lot of cool boys like trying to exploit and you know get girls drunk and rape them and things we've seen enough of that and we know it exists but you know the boys in this show were as confused as the girls and had their own issues with their body parts that's why i really appreciated otis's storyline because for the first like two or three episodes i swear i was like they're gonna make otis be asexual and they're gonna eventually make him okay to not have sex but instead you find out the stuff that you find out about his parents and i was like oh okay that's why that happened but part of what I really like about Otis as the character is like he's not a perfect good like he's not always like nice but he does genuinely seem to want to try and help and make things better yeah and I think it's much more realistic to how boys live their everyday life yeah and I I mean this is just drama that you can't really capture the self-consciousness and awkwardness about real adolescents because there wouldn't be as much to talk about and and so that was a bit unrealistic too (laughs) yeah how much they were talking about sex or sharing with each other instead of keeping it inside but but you know all for the good of people watching the the show too but i mean i I don't think i finished my thought about lily and the two guys so the first guy otis they just lie there and uh, give it a try and it doesn't kind of work or something or i forget they held hands for 45 minutes they hold hands for 45 and then the most uncomfortable drift tease happens and then he has an anxiety attack oh yes and that she, and he says get my mother yeah <laughs> Which was horrifying to yes, hear. Horrifying. And then the second guy, when she's when it's not working, he's saying, "Well, something's wrong here." And she's saying, "Why won't it go in?" And mm-hmm. and she's like, "The I think that was just such a sweet touch that the girl who's saying all the time, let's have sex, let's have sex, let's have sex, you know, intercourse, <laughs> sex, clamps shut, <laughs> yeah, like an alien robot." and that's how she has to realize that something that porn doesn't teach you and that's something pleasure and patience and experimentation and foreplay foreplay Uh, yeah because multiple times when she was trying to have sex with Otis, she was just like i'm ready now and i was like no you're not (laughs) not your body works i heard daisy was getting perturbed that Lily didn't have a pleasurable experience for her first time. I think she will. I think she will. But I do think this, I do think this show is, is, what's the word? Not mind-blowing, but something changing. It'll be life-changing for adolescents who watch it on Netflix. Um, And it doesn't have the meanness that, what's what's the word for it where people, they're trying to teach you a lesson about something, but it it backfires on it because- 
it really makes the mean thing look cool. I feel yes. like that happens in like Mean Girls and other kind of movies like that, that it actually teaches people techniques about how to be cooler. And this doesn't do that at all. The kindness, patience, insecurity, it all wins out, you know, in mm-hmm. the end, I think. I agree. I would definitely really like to be able to watch this as an adolescent because I think a lot of what I had expected about sex would have been answered. Mm. But I had a very terrible sex ed experience. So I don't know if it was the same terrible that everyone else had. It would have answered questions that I didn't even know I had if I watched it as an adolescent. We've talked about our sex ed experience, haven't we? Or are you talking about a different one than the trip to the Hinsdale Health Museum, which was renamed? The Robert Crown Center. I also got sex ed at school by guidance counselors, middle school, and they did the very classic potato chip or tape experiment. Did you have to do, have you ever heard of this before, Sharon? Well, I'll explain that's the abstinence yeah that's one of the abstinence only one of the abstinence only things and it it put me off of sex just forever i was like i'm just never gonna have sex because this is disgusting what you guys are explaining to me so for the listeners you take something that usually a single use item a piece of tape or a potato chip and you say this potato chip is your virginity if you chew it that's you losing your virginity and then you spit it out into a paper cup and they show have you look at what's inside your paper cup and then try to trade it with someone else. Now, like you wouldn't want to have like used goods. Um, so I'll talk over. And they, they did the same thing with me with gotch tape. They put it on my arm and then they said like, oh, you won't stick to another person. So I had those experiences. So I, up until I was like 16, I was like, I'm just never going to have sex. Horrifying. I don't want to be cheap used a potato chip oh my god that that was effective on you i have to say oh yeah it was very effective you know we didn't really talk about a couple of other really great things in sex education now that you mentioned that and that's that the bad girl the one who slept around does uh-huh. end up having a good relationship, an okay relationship with someone. Oh somebody. my gosh, yes. That's she a does. lovely thing. Despite like some challenges in their initial getting together and like the interference of her brother, yeah. I think that's really exciting. And I think also that she has an abortion. That's a big spoiler. Of course, it is a trope that the bad girl, the one who sleeps around, does get pregnant, but, and her life isn't ruined, you know. Her life isn't that. ruined. And at, at pre-abortion visit or whatever, she said that she used condoms. And that's so, something they don't work so that's a little abstinence only you know shout out to the abstinence only people yeah we know condoms alone don't work all the Mm -hmm. time but it also shows it's not everyone who gets an abortion is an irresponsible idiot right she is probably the most responsible person in this entire show because she's essentially acting like an adult most of the time so i like the fact that go ahead sorry raising herself yeah yeah she's raising herself so i like the fact that she's like i'm responsible and still life happens yeah Yeah, I like that too. So I think we should end the podcast now, but I want to ask if you you can eat potato chips. I I can. Nothing will stop me from potato chips. They're my favorite snack. (laughs) They are? Yes. I don't know if I can make a sexual metaphor for that. Okay. Because what what was it? You put it in the cup and you pass it around and I'll share a bag of potato chips with anyone. (laughs) Put your greasy hands in. They're still delicious. Oh my goodness. No, don't go there. Don't go there. Anyway, it's been lovely talking to you and we want to do a little shout out to Dan who does our editing and makes us sound quicker than we actually are. (laughs) Thank you, Dan. And if you're interested in the curriculum, we talked about the sexy, you can go to www www.sexualethics.org and find out more about it and even purchase it. We'd like to teach it. 
at your school, which people are doing all over these, all over the world these days. I'm getting, Absolutely. I just got a request from South Africa. Isn't that cool? That's so cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, have sex. Be ethical. Be ethical. No, it makes ethics sound so bad. Just if you're going to have sex, and we're not saying you should have sex or you shouldn't have sex, because we know there's a whole bunch of teenagers out there just in this podcast universe. Mm -hmm. We'll say, just think about other people, right? That's what Mm -hmm. ethics is all about. Absolutely. See you next time. Bye-bye.